0: I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has big implications for our students and our city. And this podcast shines a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Ross, good morning.
1: Good morning, Jill. How are you?
0: I'm well. How are you?
1: Excellent. Thank you.
0: Good. So before we get into this podcast, we want to extend our congratulations to Lorena LaPera and Rafaela Palanca Garcia on their reappointments to school committee. They were appointed by Acting Mayor Kim Janey a few months ago on a temporary basis, and Mayor Wu this week appointed them to full terms.
1: Yes, congratulations to both of them. Well, Jill, the meeting began with the superintendent's report, as it usually does, and there are a few key points to highlight. We first heard about Acceleration Academies, which is really a good thing, Jill. About sixty-seven schools will be offering um, full week for February vacation and April vacation of academic supports for students in grades mm-hmm. three through twelve. Um, and in fact, we also there were some questions about this, like will could it be offered to kindergartners since they've you know missed out? Kindergartners, first graders, since they've missed out on a year of instruction as well, or they were remote for a year, I should say. Right. And the answer was yes. Um, and also. The district leadership basically said we could offer this to more schools as well. So this is really—it's a good thing. It's a—it's a, it's a good stipend for teachers for the February and April vacation. Yeah. And we really hope that you know students take advantage of this opportunity, um, and we see more schools jump into this, and hopefully it will really help recover from the effects of COVID nineteen. Yeah. The superintendent then provided an update on EL services.
2: Eighty seven percent of our EL students are receiving the appropriate number of minutes compared to sixty one percent in October. of our EL students are receiving the appropriate type of instruction compared to 68% in October. 90% of our EL students have the appropriately credentialed educator compared to 68% in October. And 81% of our EL students are in classrooms with the appropriate grouping compared to 41% in October.
1: Well, Jill, we we haven't seen the underlying data here. And again, the superintendent said this is just a data entry issue with our English language learners. Mm -hmm. But if correct, then it's really promising to know that more kids are in appropriate placements. Um, However, we still have about almost one in five children not getting the appropriate services they need. That's thousands of students who may not be getting the services they require. So what is being done for those students? We didn't hear uh, any questions from members last night about sort of moving to 80% compliance, Um, but really what we should be hearing is how are we moving from 80% to 100% compliance, because there's no excuse not to be at 100%.
0: Right. I think that may be part of what happens during this podcast is there are just a number of things that were talked about at school committee last night where we were surprised about the questions that weren't asked by school committee members. So as the meeting moved along, the superintendent mentioned that she and her team are finalizing the district's application for ESSER three. Just a quick update on ESSER. That's the third tranche of federal pandemic aid money for schools.
2: We are finalizing the review of all school uh, and department applications for ESSER three funding. And they plan to
0: submit this uh, application to the State Department of Elementary and Secondary
2: Education very soon. So that we can submit our funding application to DESE for final investments and make any amendments necessary.
1: Okay, Jill. So, this has been like one of our key questions almost every uh, episode of Last Night School Committee is right. like, what's going on with it's ESSER?
2: It's so much
1: money, it's a lot of money. So, how, how do we know our strategy on ESSER 2 funding worked? Or if it's actually been spent, right? Right. No update. We there. don't know. Nobody asked her. No, no school committee member I said, "Hey, superintendent, how's SR two going?" And before you submit SR three, maybe we could talk about how SR two went and what our strategy is for SR three. No conversation um, about this. And the, the key question is, will there be a conversation before they submit their SR three application? For example, if we're using like SR two funding for staffing, right, and we can't fill positions. Um, you know, we heard that there's like 300 vacancies were mentioned in the HR update uh, last night. Um, is there a different tact that should be taken with ESSER three? I would say yes. Uh, but you need to know lessons from ESSER two in order to figure out how to spend this huge amount of money with ESSER three.
0: Totally agree. So the superintendent then provided another update on sixth grade configurations of three
2: elementary schools. I shared with families this morning that we are committing to a sixth grade for each of these schools beginning next year. This has been
0: a topic of the past few meetings too, Ross, with much public comment from the parents of each community asking the superintendent and school committee to reconsider their decision to not put sixth grades in these three schools. Here's the
2: superintendent. We've had a lot of discussion across uh, over the past month or so with uh, families and community at all of these three schools and have been touring facilities and reviewing different options with these families. While we are affirming that we will have sixth grade at each school next year, there's still um, some community conversations that we still need to have and additional work that needs to be done in collaboration with our external partners where some of those solutions may rest and uh, other school communities uh, to determine the exact plan for each individual school.
1: Okay, Jill, this has gotten a little bit confusing. Um, so let me try to give a quick summary about where we are with these schools. There was a vote proposed a few weeks ago to close three schools, the Timothy Middle School, the Irving Middle School, and the Jackson Mann School in Alston Brighton. Right. The result of that is that this, there were sixth grade seats needed to be added to some K to five schools so they would have clear pathways to 712 schools Right. with me. At that time, um, it was decided that only three schools would not get a sixth grade, the Sumner, the Blackstone, and the Mendel. And the vote on closing the Timothy, the Irving, and the Jackson Man was delayed and has yet to come back to the committee. Right, right. But the promise we heard last night is that the three schools will now get a sixth grade. We don't know how. We know we've lost thousands of kids. We're adding temporary modulars to schools. We expect that there will still be a vote at some point at the closure of these three schools. We don't know the long-term plan for how to deal with these modulars. But it's great that the families now have a solution because these families, there was a lot of strife for families feeling that they had no option for sixth grade. Totally. And much of the public comment was people thanking the superintendent for solving this problem that the school department itself created right. in the first place. Right. But in reality, The school department only changed the decision after a massive amount of backlash.
0: Right. So maybe there was some pre-work to do there?
1: (laughs) Jill, a longer, well, yes, we'll get to it, but a longer term plan is really important here.
0: Right. No, that's totally true. So this is good for families, this new decision. They were surprised initially by the announcement that was made, but now they have a solution, as you're saying, for next year. And many of these families testified last night that they were very grateful. Here's one of those parents.
2: Me siento muy complacida de haber sido escuchada.
0: Eso me, da, me llena de satisfacción saber que nuestras necesidades y la de nuestros hijos no van al vacío.
3: And I feel very happy and very pleased knowing that our voices have been heard and that there has been actions taken. And we know now that our voices are heard and are not being just going into the wind.
0: very grateful. This whole saga, though, makes me wonder why none of the school committee members asked, what is the long-term plan, as you just said, for consolidation? But certainly having a plan for the district is what would keep all parents informed and would help them plan for their child's future.
1: Yeah. And most importantly, you like, let's not do this again. It's exhausting. Like to hear, I mean, any family who feels like they don't know what's going to happen for their child next year. its So scary. It's so scary. And it seems like a massive disconnect from the district to individual families who are experiencing this issue. And so, and this has happened over and over and over again. So really, we need a long-term plan here and we can't go through this again. Right. Finally, we heard an update on the Henderson and it was a really positive update, Jill. Um, In fact, the superintendent asked uh, student rep Zyra Mercer, a senior at the Henderson, um, you know, how, how it was going. And we heard from Zyra that that It's great that students are getting back into sort of the normal swing of things, and they're feeling supported and safe at school. So it's really heartening to hear that the Henderson um, is is getting stable, and um, and that, in fact, that, that the head of school, Principal Lampron, is, is recovering. So we wish her the best and, and the school the best.
0: Absolutely. So then the meeting moved on to public comment, where we heard about a few key topics— The impact of the changes at Mission Hill in response to a series of investigations, the continuing issues with COVID-19 testing, a proposed plan for the new Innovation High School in Charlestown, and the exam school
1: policy. So on Mission Hill, Jill, we heard this powerful testimony from a parent.
3: When the district removed our co-leaders and teachers this fall, our community suffered a traumatic loss. The district promised support. It has sent people to our building, but simply having bodies and roles does not begin to approach the kind of healing and care this community deserves. Due to a lack of leadership in our school, some of the very basic things one expects from a school just aren't happening. We've lost something like 10% of our student body since the start of the school year, and it's not because of accusations and allegations from years ago. We used to have weekly newsletters. This year, we've had just one. We didn't get fall progress reports. We've heard nothing about family conferences. Compensatory services notices didn't go out for some students until November nothing's been said about school photos traditions like dressed like a book character day have been ignored equity roundtables on esser funds use weren't held we still have no before or after school options the kinds of covid communication promised by the superintendent at this committee's last meeting are categorically not happening at mission hill and our school leader has failed to respond to emails from families asking why
1: this is really, it's really heartbreaking. Um, you know, there appears to be a significant disconnect between the decision making at central office and really what's happening on the ground at Mission Hill. And, and I hope it gets sorted out soon because week after week we hear we hear from Mission Hill families um, who are really expressing uh, an outcry for, for support.
0: Totally agree. Um, Then there was more public comment on COVID-19 testing in schools. Here is uh, one of those comments talking about some of the issues schools are still facing in conducting testing in schools.
2: Only half of BPS student population is signed up for pool testing. There are serious continuing problems with pool testing, test and stay, and notification systems. These aren't protective for Delta, let alone Omicron.
1: Yeah, so, so there's actually an article, Jill, on this, uh, in the Dorchester Reporter will link to it. It's an op-ed basically giving BPS an F for uh, testing uh, in schools. You know, week after week, we've heard testimony sharing worries from parents and staff about COVID-19 testing. It's clear that the public continues to be nervous and wants to hear more from the district on how BPS plans to keep their community safe while making uh, sure that testing is is offered to all students and is more effective with contact tracing.
0: Right. Next up, we heard public comment last night about a proposal for a new inclusion high school in Charlestown. As I understand it, the proposed plan for a new open enrollment school was the outcome of months of conversations with hundreds of Boston parents, and it was co-authored by four BPS parents, including you. So Ross, you're one of the authors. Could you provide a little background on this proposal?
1: I can, Jill. Th- thanks for <laughs> thanks for the offer. Um, Look, there's um, groups of families who have students in inclusion elementary schools, K-8 to schools, yep. and um, and they're concerned about high school. You know, they look at high schools, and we, we have really one, maybe two, inclusive high schools in our district. And with all of this sort of conversation around the exam school policy and exam schools, the group of families thought, well, what if we actually stop talking about exam schools and really focus on could we support open enrollment high schools in BPS. Now, Jill, you may remember open enrollment high schools are not exam schools, they're not admissions-based schools, they are schools that any student can attend. Right. And so we put together a plan. We worked with uh, community members and parents and and others and said, look, what, what would we like to see in a high school? And we submitted an innovation plan to the district. The hallmarks of this plan, first and foremost, is that all students who are currently at Charleston High School would remain at Charleston High School. That no student would be displaced as part of the plan. That in fact, the school would become a, uh, a pathway school, early college or pathways to credentials for every student in the school, mm-hmm. longer day, longer year, most importantly, a co-taught school where uh, students with disabilities, English language learners would be able to learn along with their general education peers um, throughout the day um, and that, in fact, this, the long-term plan for the school would be that it would remain a racially, economically diverse school by offering a number of different enrollment patterns into the school, none of which would require an admissions requirement or an exam. So this plan is actually with uh, with the district now, and they need to determine if they're going to vote on it within 30 days.
0: And And when you say it's with the district now, are they required to vote on it?
1: They are. under. There's an innovation statute for the state. uh, Mm -hmm. um, And essentially, there's a three-person panel that must convene uh, the the head of the BTU or or her designee, Mm -hmm. the the school committee chair, her designee, and the superintendent or her designee. And they need to come together, read the plan, and determine um, if it goes to the next step. Now, Jill, I got to mention here, this is just a prospectus. It's a 40-page prospectus. But If approved, it would go to the planning phase, where there would be large-scale community engagement and the development of a full innovation plan. So this Ah. is not the innovation plan. This is a perspective saying, hey, can we uh, work with the district to further develop a plan with the community for the long term?
0: So the vote is on yes or no. Can we move this forward into a public process? Exactly. So last night, we heard from another one of the authors of this proposal, Fabian Ellicine, She starts by noting that the proposal, in addition to being all of the things that you're saying, helps to solve for a school where there is a 55% graduation rate, a 40% decline in enrollment, and which is ranked in the bottom 10% of schools in the state. Here's Fabian.
2: My daughter, who has learning disability, and a thousand of other students like her in Boston deserve every opportunity to succeed. My last question will be, I know that the time is running. But in the urge of Boston School Committee to accept a proposal and to move forward with a planning phase to bring this vision to life in order to demonstrate that is a city can deliver on its promise, I know that, you know, we can do better awesome. and we want to be better for our students. Let's make sure this plan is not only for Charlestown High to be an innovative school, but mostly to make sure that every student like my daughter have a place to thrive like everybody else. Thank you.
1: Yes, and and Jill, we also heard um, some backlash to this proposal last night. Here's what Edith Bazil had to say.
3: It was no consideration for a new design for the McKinley students. When West Roxbury complex was closed, again, parents and families were ignored. Now, here we go again. Just like the McKinley plan and the West Roxbury plan, the proposed Charlestown High plan ignores current students and families. This plan will displace numerous black students and a significant number of population of students with disabilities.
1: Jill, I understand where these criticisms are coming from. Absolutely. Uh, With with regard to the school community engagement, um, Ms. Bazile is absolutely correct uh, that um, in fact, the the school community, the students, and the staff uh, should absolutely be engaged in this plan. Um, now, I, I got to say here, we we asked to engage with the students and staff uh, back in August, and we're told by the school department that it, absolutely no, we could not engage with them. So. I agree with Ms. Beziel that we should be. Yeah. Um, and I'm hopeful that the, if this proposal is, our uh, prospectus is uh, approved, that there could be a full engagement of, of the community. And with regard to her, uh, Ms. Beziel's comments about students being displaced, you know, I got to be clear here. This plan explicitly states that that will not happen. Um, historically, that has absolutely happened in BPS. And I can understand the concern here because when West Roxbury High School was closed, um, which was also an open enrollment high schools, um, our most fragile students were, dis- were scattered around the city. Um, right. And it wasn't correct. It's not the right thing to do. Um, so the proposal clearly states very early on and multiple times throughout that no students will be displaced as part of this process.
0: So then we also heard public comments both for and against the 10 points in the exam school policy, a topic that was on the agenda for later in the evening. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. Then as we moved out of public comment, there were two reports presented to school committee last night. The first was an update on hiring. It sounds like many positions weren't posted until September, and posting dates are important in education because the hiring cycle begins in March. Many folks who are looking for new positions for the following school year secure them before the summer. And we saw the results of that being a number still of open positions in the district. The diversity numbers not only held strong, but they went up slightly. In addition to the broad-based hiring issues that employees are having, one of the key issues driving so many open recs could be that the ESSER funding wasn't released until September.
1: That's right. Yeah, so this is a this is, you know, as we look forward to, we're kind of like with ESSER three. Uh, you know, if, if these funds weren't used to fund more positions, like I'm hopeful that sr three is not going to actually just fund more positions, which right. may be unfilled. So right. I think this is part of that strategy conversation. But Jill, I got to I got to go back here. You know, the racial diversity and linguistic diversity numbers for BPS are really strong. Like they're it looks better than yeah. um, ever before, and you got to commend uh, BPS on focusing on that, those efforts. It's great. There was a second report last night reviewing the charter for the Boston Day and Evening Academy. School committee members universally comm- uh, commended the school and said how extraordinary the school is.
0: Which it really is. Then we moved into a discussion of the 10 points in the new exam school admissions policy. So, Ross, why is there another <laughs> discussion about the 10 points?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. OK, well... Um, Because so so there's there's as as you recall there's been this ongoing conversation around um, what is the impact of the ten points Um, you recall that the superintendent changed the policy from fifty percent schools right to forty percent will get the ten points which left out a handful of schools the question has been always what is the implications and the impact of those ten points on those few schools that don't get them and last week the data was presented or sorry, two weeks ago at the school committee meeting, uh, the data was presented again. And the the question of what will happen next year with a grade-only policy in these few schools, will students get in who don't get the 10 points remained unanswered?
0: Right. And so the discussion opened with a presentation from the superintendent, which included an addendum to the approved policy, the introduction of a wait list, For exam schools. But we'll get to that in a second. First of all, let's talk about uh, how this moved along, this discussion moved along.
1: So first, in our last podcast, we talked about how there was incorrect data in one of the columns regarding the number of invitations. Last night, we saw the revised data that actually showed results for schools that do not receive the 10 points using grades only next year. So we finally saw those numbers. Right. And those numbers are absolutely different than the numbers presented last week. Right. Right. And so, but nobody talked about it. The superintendent did acknowledge that the data had changed, that the numbers had changed. They've been new and different. Um, Everyone's just sort of said, oh yeah, this looks good, which tells me maybe people are not paying attention. But Jill, the new simulation results that they shared do suggest that each of the five schools will receive invitations that are relatively proportional to the class sizes of each school. This corrected data was what the community has been pining for all along. Mission accomplished. Right. Mission
0: accomplished. So school committee member Lorena Lapera then made this statement about access.
3: I think what we just heard and what we've heard previously is that historically certain school communities, some neighborhoods and some racial and ethnic groups um, really haven't had the same level of access to the exam schools as others. And so we know that for decades there has been disparity in access to exam schools and
0: it's been labeled as merit. Ross, she's right, that historically, some have had access to the exam schools and others have not. But what seems to be continuously missed by this school committee is that in a district of 125 schools, access to a high-performing high school should not be net zero. If the school committee's perspective and focus continues to be on three high schools and not on a high-quality pathway, from preschool to elementary school to high school, then this school district will continue to flounder. Okay, so Ross, now let's talk about this newly proposed waitlist. Here's what the superintendent presented last night
2: We want to make sure that we fill every seat in our exam schools, and we have heard many questions about a waitlist. Historically, there has not been a waitlist at our three exam schools, but we've worked diligently over the past few months to develop, develop a new waitlist policy. Ross, do you
0: think that this is now an official part of the exam school policy? And if so, why is it important? Were you surprised that none of the committee members asked her about the
1: waitlist? Jill, I mean, look, I have no idea. Like, all of a sudden, it's <laughs> out of nowhere. Like, ta da, we have a waitlist now. Um, so I have no idea. Nobody asked. There's about never the wait- been one. Never right? been a waitlist. Yeah. Okay. Never been a waitlist. Um, actually, it was considered as part of the exam school task force. Right. They had a discussion about waitlists. That's right. Wasn't part of the recommendation. Nobody's talked about it. All of a sudden, here we are, uh, and there's the waitlist is part of a policy.
0: So, but is it part of a policy, or does it have to be voted on? I
1: have no idea. Okay. I, I, and the question is, does it need to be voted on? What What is in it? Yeah. What's the reaction to it? Um. You know, the committee just sort of said nothing.
0: Nothing. So the other statement that opened up some questions was the superintendent's statement on the admission numbers to the exam schools. Here's what she said.
2: Thank you, um, Mr. DeRugio. I just wanted to kind of put a little bit in context in that um, in a normal year of exam school prior to the pandemic, there were approximately 2,800 applicants for exam schools. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And we sent 1,025 invites so that's nearly 1800 students who wouldn't get in, wouldn't get a seat. And last year we had 1600 applicants and we only had 974 invites.
0: Okay, so there were a thousand fewer applicants last year and 50 fewer invitations were sent last year. While the district was using this one-year revised policy, which got rid of the exam and offered invitations to the exam schools via a zip code allotment. So that was last year. So in a year where the students didn't take an exam, there were over a 1,000 fewer applications to the exam schools. And then the district chose to extend fewer invitations to those three schools that they know families in the district hold sacred. So what happened here? Did families leave the district and not apply? Is that account for the thousand? Did the district think that more students would accept the invitations than they actually did, so they put out fewer invitations? Are there now are there empty seats in the exam schools this year because of fewer invitations? And I guess I'm wondering, like, is this why the superintendent proposed the wait list?
1: Right. So Jill, this is actually this was months ago discussed as part of this policy. Yeah. The school system decided that there, there will be more students who accept seats at exam schools this year mm-hmm. than any other year. They made, a, they made an assumption about it. Clearly, that assumption was wrong. Mm-hmm. And they also, for some reason, gave fewer invitations overall. Mm. Um, just really mind boggling here. Uh, we can guess at all the, all the answers to the questions that you just asked. Uh, but we have no idea. Um, but these are all the things that one would expect the school committee members to ask.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe they didn't ask about the wait list. So, this whole discussion was supposed to be about the 10 points, but that part of the policy sort of got lost in this conversation about the wait list. Um, Ross, was there a resolution to the larger question of the 10 points?
1: Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, I guess based on the new data presented last night, the superintendent suggested that the 10 points should remain and the district should reassess at the end of the you know, next school year as to whether it should be changed. All of the school committee members were in agreement with this plan, including Mr. De Arujo, who was the one who first raised this issue and asked for it to be on the agenda. They all agreed to wait until June to see if the policy needs to be amended or if any additional action needs to be taken as a result of quote unquote, unintended consequences.
0: So what does this mean though for students this year? If in the spring the district finds out that there were major unintended consequences of this policy, it will have already impacted a full class of students. Yes. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. First, there are staffing shortages throughout the district, including bus drivers, food services professionals, and in other key areas. How is this being
1: addressed? What was the result of ESSER two funding? Did we get what we planned for? And what is the ESSER three proposal?
0: What is the long-term plan for BPS school buildings? And is there an RFP to create a campus master plan? The superintendent mentioned that there was one a few meetings ago, but we still haven't been able to find evidence
1: of it. And we're heading into the budget season, Jill, and the budget is based on enrollment. What is the projected enrollment for next year? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. Testify at the next school committee meeting on December 15th and share your thoughts on how to address the issues facing your school. Reach out to Mayor Wu and the new city councilors to discuss your priorities for BPS. And sign up for our email list at shawfoundation.org to provide feedback on this podcast, receive updates on our work, and be notified when new podcast episodes are available.
0: Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.